In my late 30s, something curious began to happen to me. I started having to hold books and computers and medicine bottles further and further away from my face to unblur them. What used to be so sweet when my children would put their tiny hands on the sides of my head and pull me closer to face them eye to eye now began to make me a little dizzy. It wasn't until I went to the eye doctor that I realized I had fallen victim to the sad but common reality of middle age eyesight changes. I finally understood why my own mother kept reading glasses in the kitchen drawer, in her car, by her bed, in her bathroom, and in her purse. Something I used to giggle about now became my reality as I slid into my first pair of bifocals from my local optometrist and then began to add to my collection, picking up spare readers from Walmart, Amazon, and maybe even that cute little boutique at the beach. I began placing glasses strategically wherever I may need to read something with tiny print. Hi, I'm Shauna Alexander, a member of Pell City First United Methodist Church. Thanks for joining us today as we discuss what it means to be a child of God. In today's text, we understand how important it is to truly see. Here in 1 John 3, 1-7, we read together. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. Right off the bat, John instructs us to see What does he tell us to see? I like the NIV translation. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Did you hear that word? Lavished. God gives generously and extravagantly to his children. And what should our response be? We should see, behold, never cease to admire this, this immeasurable gift of not only being accepted by God, but being called by the same title as Jesus. We are children of God. Verse 1 reminds us not to be surprised when the world doesn't recognize us. How can we expect the world to recognize us as children of a father they do not know? If they do not know God the Father and they do not recognize Jesus, the elder brother, How then should we expect them to know us? The world is like me before I knew I needed glasses. Things were out of focus, blurry, things right in front of my face. Funny, too, because the closer I brought those things to my eyes, 
the blurrier they became. So it is with those who do not know God. Verse 2 says this about seeing. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed, but what we do know is this. When he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon says this. That vision will be transforming and transfiguring. The pure in heart see God, and they are pure because they see God. There is both action and reaction. When God has purified us, we shall see Christ. And when we see Christ as he is, our purification will be complete. When will that day arrive? Oh, for the blessed vision. Meanwhile, let us be content to look at him by faith and to be ever growing more and more prepared for that brighter vision, which is yet to be ours. In verses 3 through 4, John the Evangelist exhorts us to purify ourselves, to cease from sin, lawlessness. And in verse 6, he reminds us, No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. This verse can be a stumbling block for many Christians as we wonder, how then can we be sure we know Christ? We find ourselves in the midst of day-to-day sin and we wonder, does this mean I don't know God? Spurgeon counters that abiding in sin means that this is not the course, the habit, and the tenor of his life. There is sin in much that the sinner does, but he hates it, loathes it, and flees from it. What about you? Do you hate your sin? Do you loathe it? Do you flee from it? Our own John Wesley, founder of the Methodist movement, laid out a doctrine of Christian perfection in which he believed, quote, those who continually dwell in God's life, spirit, and grace, and who respond to these gifts of God with continuous praise, love, and prayer will not voluntarily transgress any commandment of God. This does not mean that believers will never sin, but that while believers continue in complete fellowship with God, they will not willfully sin, end quote. I would agree with Wesley and Spurgeon. When I spend my time dwelling in God's life, spirit, and grace, it is natural for me to respond with praise, love, and prayer, and in turn to hate my sin, to loathe it, and to flee from it. With the knowledge that I am lavished with the title child of God, I'm both convicted and freed of great responsibility. Before I knew Jesus, I couldn't see the power sin had over me. But when I put on my spiritual reading glasses by reading the Word, praying, and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, I'm heartbroken by the realization that as Reformation leader John Calvin put it, the perverse life of those who indulge themselves in the liberty of sinning is hateful to God. Anything but that, I pray, Lord, Forgive, forgive, and forbid that I should respond to lavish love by being hateful to God. In verse 5, we found comfort, more than comfort. We find reason for praise, for glorying, as John tells us, 
but you know that he appeared so that we might so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin just as the old hymn states blessed assurance is ours in the moment we realize that our purity is not a condition of our salvation but rather the fruit of it our purity is not the condition to be accepted by god in order to become children of god but rather because we are accepted through Christ Jesus as joint heirs. Our freedom from sinning is not our working for God, but rather God working in us. Therefore, be assured by verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. As the recipient of divine grace, you have the eyes to see. Jesus The great optometrist has crafted you a very special pair of glasses. With these, you will see more clearly the closer you get to him. Study him, pray, and repent in godly sorrow. Praise him for his righteousness. Thank him for his completed work. Glory at his power at work in you. As Philippians 2.13 tells us, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and power to do what pleases Him. And so let us pray. Father God, thank You for creating me for good works. Thank You for loving me in my sin, yet rescuing me through the power of Jesus. Thank You for Your lavish love, for Your extravagant grace, for the eyes to see and the correction of my vision. I'm sorry for my sin, Lord, so sorry. I want to be pleasing to you, and I loathe anything in my life that does not serve to praise and glory in you. Just as you help me to produce good fruit, I thank you, and I trust your power at work in me. Thank you for adopting me into your royal and eternal family, for making me a child of God. Amen.